This week on Art of the Air features Tito Sanchez Williams, Elise Cromani, and Steve Scott talking about Dune Summer Theater season premiere musical Forever Plaid opening June 4th. Philip Potempa discusses his one-man show Winchell on the Air on June 10th at the Center for Visual and Performing Arts. Our spotlight is with Porter County Library Director Jesse Butts about their summer reading program. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart. Express yourself to art. And show the world your heart. Welcome. You're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art on the Air streams live at WVLP.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m., plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, every Sunday at 7 p.m., also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. And I'd like to welcome back once again to Art in the Air Spotlight, Jesse Butts, the Porter County Director of Libraries there. Uh, and he's going to tell us, first of all, about the things that they've had happen in May, which are some exciting things. We had them on the previous Spotlight. And what's coming up uh, in the library this summer? Jesse, welcome back to Art on the Air Spotlight. Aloha. Thank you guys for having me back. I appreciate it. Well, I guess the first thing I was to ask you about is how the uh, the May opening for the garden went. Tell us the details about the garden and uh, everything about that once again. Yeah, it was a, it was a great time had by all. We wanted to definitely thank everybody that was involved in the project. Uh, we were lucky enough to have the lieutenant governor in attendance as well as uh, city council, county council, the mayor. Uh, so it was a, a great group of people coming in that took part in this project. So we really appreciate it. And we're really now looking forward to it being open so that everybody can come out and enjoy it throughout the uh, throughout the day. Another Valparaiso jewel. That's right. And they can right. and can get you visit anytime they want. They just It's open and you just go in, right? Yep. Just walk on in. The gates are open. You go out and just enjoy, experience, eat your lunch, read a book, just be outside and relax. So how are you planning on integrating that into your uh, usage? Uh, and you probably have already started to some degree, but uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so th- there's going to be programming. Basically, anytime there's a nice day outside, we're going to be able to take our story time programming and head outside, which will allow us to have a much larger capacity for all of our programming and really take advantage of that, that beautiful weather that we're going to have this summer. We have little shaded areas and, and nooks, and I even got a sound system so that everybody's going to be able to hear us. So it's going to be great. So what are we looking forward to with uh, programs this summer? Yeah, so summer's kind of our our busiest time as a library. This is when our summer reading kicks off. 
So we're very excited about this. And while we're not having as many programs um, that we normally have, uh, kind of the big fancy ones, because we're still being mindful of the pandemic. Um, but what we are doing is we have our Beanstack app, which is a silly name, but it's a it's a fun way to track your reading usage as an entire family. We're trying to encourage that it's not just children that are um, engaging in those summer reading activities, but it's really a, an entire family um, can, can help with the success of their children, or even if you don't have children, to be able to take part and have a good time with our summer reading. Because so, the reading know, is even if the parents read to the child, that's considered ours, correct? That is correct. Yeah, reading to your child is exceptionally important. Um, helping them gain that vocabulary, it's very important. So we encourage that all around. And you'll be able to track your uh, time read with the Beanstack app. And then you'll be able to turn it in for little digital badges. You used to have to come in and, and sign a sheet of paper and get a little ticket. But all that happens electronically now. And then you'll be able to be put into a, a big grand prize drawing. And we have gobs of different prizes that are really exciting for everybody. So there's something for anybody who, who could possibly want to. So we're really looking forward to that and would encourage everybody because the summer is the most important way to set your child up for success um, for that next school year. So we hope lots of people take advantage of it. Well, it's kind of fun to track the hours. It's amazing how many, how fast they build up. It is. And this year we're going to be putting some neat little spins on it where you're going to be able to see which town reads the most. And so we're going to see who can, which town is likes the books the most this year. It'll be fun. <laughs> so Jesse, can you use books on tape as part of your listening to books of t on tape? Yes, yes, you most definitely can. A lot of people think that you actually have to hold a book in front of you to read it. But ebooks, magazines, newspapers, listening to an audiobook, it's all important. So we just want people to consume as much literature as they possibly can. So all those methods work. So uh, your uh, in you said your in internal uses are going going up. Um, as we look at the pandemic kind of winding down, do you think we'll really kind of like in the fall, looking forward, being back to you know pretty much normalcy as we used to know it? That's our definite hope here. But what we're doing is we're we're setting ourselves up for a future in which it may not be um, exactly the way that it was. So our virtual programming will remain. Our outdoor storybook trails that we have at Sunset Hills Farm and here in the garden will stay. We're going to do as much outdoor programming as we possibly can. We're going to continue purchasing um, and having access to as many electronic resources as possible to support those people who might not be comfortable. But we're going to continue working our facilities and our offerings back up to those pre-pandemic levels just as quick as we can. So Jesse, like the meeting rooms, have they been repurposed for other other things in the library? And what has gone on with, I know a lot of libraries don't have their Friends of the Library book sales anymore or are accepting donations. How yeah, so back in April, we actually opened up uh, donations again to the Friends of the Library. They accept two boxes of good condition items. And then they were able to open up their book sales again at the Valpo and Portage branches in the month of May, which was wonderful. And for our meeting rooms, we had repurposed those throughout the pandemic for the quarantine of items. But as the CDC and other studies came out showing that you didn't need to quarantine, we were able to stop that practice and reutilize those meeting room spaces for meetings again. So it's been great to open those back up as of April. Excellent. Real quick, uh, how do they find you online and uh, your locations real quick? Sure. So we have five branches spread throughout the county, uh, Portage, South Haven, Valpo, Hebron, and Couts. And you can find us at pcpls.org. Okay. Thanks again. That's Jesse Butts, Director of the Porter County Library System. Thanks for coming on Art of the Year Spotlight and sharing your news. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, Jesse.
You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. And Art on the Air would like to welcome back someone who's been with us before, Philip Potempa. Uh, he's a journalist that's uh, doing many, many things. Uh, I met him a long time ago when I was at uh, uh, the Center for Vision Forming Arts, and so he came to see Jonathan Frid in a reading back in his early journalist days. Does journalism so on WGLB, and we'll talk about also, I guess, your new program that's going to be underwritten by the Legacy Foundation. But he's got a new project coming up that he's going to do, a one-man show with multimedia. They'll be doing that uh, with trauma catering and everything like Philip, welcome back to Art in the Air again. Thank you. And as though you didn't list enough hats, don't forget, besides my <laughs> tenure with the Times, I'm with the Post-Tribune now. So oh, that's right. a five-year anniversary now with the, the Post-Tribune and Chicago Tribune Media. So, yeah, a little bit everywhere. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> You're so wonderful. <laughs> well, we know you have a new project coming up, and it's going to be at uh, the Center for Performing Arts, not on the stage, but in the ballroom. Uh, and it's going to be a one-man show, and you are the star. So tell us a little about that. Star and author. That's right. That's right. Well, and you know, even though we haven't had a lot of live performances in theater, we've been very fortunate to be able to put on a, a little bit of programming in the ballroom inside the Center for Visual Performing Arts. So the theater is still closed temporarily, but across the lobby in that big spacious ballroom, we've done a little bit of programming. And and I, I'm, I'm not an actor trained in any degree, but at least I, I do know about a few things. And I, of course, know myself. So you're right, doing a one-man show that talks about a personality or a profile, really something that I, I can you know, kind of pull off. And that's what I'm doing. It's called Winchell on the Air. And that last name of Winchell is still infamous in the world of journalism and in broadcasting and in media. Because Walter Winchell was the man that started it all in the late 1920s when it came to his newspaper gossip columns and his broadcast and also a very controversial figure. So... I'll step into that, guys, for two performances on June the 10th on that makeshift stage in the ballroom, and we'll transform the ballroom into the Stork Club of New York days of old, and audiences will have a front-row seat to the excitement of a live broadcast as Winchell unfolds the ins and outs of his life and all the -the behind-the-scenes scoop. So tell us a little bit about the history of Walter Winchell. I mean, he has such a great story, leaving school in sixth grade, I believe, and then going off and doing vaudeville, and I don't know, you can tell us a little bit about his background. Certainly. A new, of course, a New York figure. We think of Walter Winchell. We connect him with the Big Apple, born and raised, uh, immigrant parents. And he got his first taste of byline fame, or at least the, the notoriety that comes with the newsprint, when he was a part of, a, of an accident. I think it was a milk wagon or something that he was nearly almost run over by, but not. He was not, as a young child, interviewed, saw his name in print, and boy, ink became a part of his blood from then on. And he really enjoyed again that connection in the you know the the, the bit of of, of yeah, I guess what is it kind of buzz that goes with having your name in print and from there launched first of all in vaudeville so you're right he kind of back in the days of live theater and stages he did some performing there and decided that really he could serve a better purpose if he were maybe writing about all the things that happened backstage so he started with a little newsletter sheet he would hand out to the different theaters in in New York. And then from there, landed on a spot with uh, the famed Hearst newspaper, the New York Daily Mirror. And of course, William Randolph Hearst, also a controversial figure, very powerful when he saw that Winchell had, you know, popularity amongst not just the the theater set and society set with people reading his column. He syndicated them across the country, which led to the broadcast. And 
also led to, I think, what is that growing ego, which sometimes becomes like Frankenstein's monster. Once it leaves the lab, you know, Larry and Esther, it's hard to control. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, he and uh, he really kind of created like the broadcast gossip, uh, uh, the whole idea of that when he started making the transition from writ- written to uh, broadcasting. Well, yeah. not only that, but he also had so many famous rivalries. It seemed like that was part of the whole thing. You had to be in conflict as well <laughs> with each other. Exactly. You're, yes, you're so right. The, these personalities and and. You know, we just, we don't have a lot of that. I mean, I'm so fortunate. I still have a column with Chicago Tribune Media as a contracted freelancer, but columnists and personalities and identities have sort of slipped away. I mean, today in the world of social media, we have influencers, and both of you certainly are influencers because your broadcasts are also shared through social media, but there's not a lot of those floating photo byline columnists like there used to be. And as Esther mentioned, in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, boy, was there competition because there were so many more newspapers out there. I mean, there were morning papers, there were afternoon newspapers, and with these this rivalry, they were able then to kind of create their own their own kind of kingdoms and and rule. And so you had Walter Winchell pitted against Ed Sullivan, who of course folks think of his Sunday variety show, but he was long before that he was a Broadway columnist writing about theater, and he and Winchell really went at it because they were on competing newspapers, and then. Out on the West Coast, of course, in Hollywood, you had those two rival mavens of gossip, Hedda Hopper and Luella Parsons. And Luella was also a Hearst personality. So she and Walter were, they were close and then they were a kinship there because her radio show also went, came on right after on ABC after his. But Hedda Hopper, she was not. She was part of the LA Times and a part of a, a you know Chicago Tribune media syndicate. So they had kind of a friendly rivalry, but you're right. The New York ones were the most venomous with each other. I, I know that made that was almost uh, that almost took over more than the gossip, the actual gossip that they were, you know, writing about. Well, exactly. and, that, and Dorothy Kilgallen is another one. You think of her on What's My Line, and she was that smart, witty panelist. But her voice of, of Broadway also in Hearst newspapers. So again, she and Walter were were colleagues, and there was sort of an unwritten rule. You didn't really write about each each other if you were on the same company, of course, in the same payroll. But you could sure write about the others, uh, you know, and and that happened all the time, as Esther mentioned. Yeah, he uh, really then moved on to uh, when he got into broadcasting, uh, kind of, uh, well, his infamous voice, which I know we're going to have you impersonate in just a little bit. But he has that kind of vocal style that actually permeated that was in film. And even later, I think what he did some television, I think, with The Untouchables. Exactly, exactly. He, you know, it just made sense if he did so well with his newspaper column and then somebody had the idea, a producer, let's put Walter on the air for radio broadcast. It works so well again in 30s, the 40s and the early 50s. Why not give him a, a TV show which did not work with him being behind a desk doing gossip? It just did not translate. It just didn't work as well. And first of all, you know, he was known for that famed fedora, that hat, which I, I own one of his from an auction that will be a part of the, the one-man show June the, the 10th here at the Center for Regional Performing Arts. But critics, you know, especially those rival columnists, really took him to task and said, what is he doing wearing his hat on television? It's rude to have your hat on inside any type of a building, let alone in a TV studio. And it just didn't really work so well. But as you mentioned, Larry, ironically, he did find some TV fame as a footnote Later on in the, in the late 50s and 60s, as the narrating familiar voice of The Untouchables, when Desi Arnaz produced that show, 
about, of course, Elliot Ness and the FBI. Well, Walter Winchell wrote about all those key figures and Al Capone. Those are the, the names that filled his column. So it just made sense that um, that, you know, he would be somebody that would be the natural voice for narration. That's for sure. And uh, the other thing is, wasn't he also on like those well, uh, the newsreels before the, before there was television broadcast, like news, like Movie Tone and some of those others? There was Winchell and they would do like maybe a, I don't know, 30, 60 second cut in about him along with the regular newsreel, if I remember correctly. That is so true. He did. He, his familiar voice was a part of a lot of those newsreels. And and because he was so much, he patrolled the, the evenings and the nights. He loved, I know we think of him about these bold faced names when it comes to you know, celebrities and gossip and who's Ginger Rogers dating now, this type of thing. But when he really, he fashioned himself and thought of himself as somebody who was a mover and shaker in the world of news. And he wanted to be out there at night, right there on on cop shop when there was police activity going on or gangsters, certainly politics, which I know we'll talk about in a minute here when it comes to his infamy with, you know, the Red Scare. But yeah, his narrative voice just was a natural for the newsreels. And Hearst owned all that. Hearst King Features had his own newsreel. I mean, Hearst had his own movie studio. Hearst had his own magazine outlet. Hearst had his own radio stations. Hearst had his newspapers. I think William Randolph Hearst and his media empire during the 30s and the 40s really dominated what public opinion was. And it was people, again, like Luella Parsons, Walter Winchell, Dorothy Kilgallen, that were the ones that basically did all of his bidding for him and, and were his eyes and ears around the country. But they could influence public opinion because that's how people got their information through the radio and newspaper. There wasn't any TV yet. It's true. And it was such a distinct time for journalism because they were sort of the superstar celebrities. I mean, they got the news before. I mean, like the story with Lucille Ball. She found out that she was pregnant via reading Winchell's column before the doctor even told her. So what kind of power is that, that the doctor tells Walter Winchell before Lucille Ball? I mean, it is such a great story. And that's so true. And and, and the quote is, when other press asked, asked Lucille Ball, is it true you're expecting? And she says, well, if Walter says it, it must be true. <laughs> so forget about HIPAA laws, right, in today's world. <laughs> yeah, he uh, yeah, he also was uh, such a, you know, he, he almost traded gossip. Like he said, well, I won't say this about you if you give me something else on someone else. He decided to use that as a commodity. Well, and so much of this information came from, from and, and before we went to this broadcast, I know that Esther and Larry and I, we were exchanging some water cooler, you know, <laughs> gossip back and forth because that's what people did, and we did it all off the record. But back then, Walter Winchell, again, Dorothy Kilgallen, all of the, the the famous columnists, they had leg men, and there were press agents out there, and that's what they did. They would call the columnists, and they would plant items in those columns, but you had to be careful. There were these loyalties. So, heaven forbid, you planted something with Luella Parsons in Hollywood and didn't give it to Hedda first, you would be banned from the column. It might sound silly today, but that could make a difference in a, a movie opening or a Broadway show if somebody froze you out and you weren't going to get any mention in their news columns or their radio broadcast. It would affect your ticket and box office sales. Right, the power That's, of the box office. Right. So uh, can you give us a sample of uh, uh, what you're going to do, uh, like a little bit of a – uh, uh, your uh, interpretation of Walter Winchell, which, uh, of course, will be going on uh, at the Center for Performing Arts on, is that June 10th, uh, Thursday. Two shows. That's right. Two performances, matinee in the evening. I will be, I'll be happy to. And, of course, there is an introduction that I think anybody can impersonate. And all that's missing, guys, is that 
that famous telegraph line, clickety, click, 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 click. Because, you know, if you've seen any of the broadcasts, Walter right on his desk, and I had to order one of these off eBay, a Western Union one that really does work. It makes that tick, and it really was just a sound effect he used. He wasn't sending any alert anywhere, but on the radio, it was so captivating and it held people's attention. So let's do our introduction for Walter Winchell and in a bit of his familiar braid. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. Let's go to press. Flash. Dateline, New York. Ginger Rogers has been seating and been dating on the arm of the elusive billionaire Howard Hughes. The question arises, though, who picked up the check at the store club on Friday night? That kind of gives you just a little bit of it. It sounds kind of silly in today's world, but if you didn't have anything else to listen to, think of you being trapped in a car on an audiobook. How compelling that is. That's probably how compelling it sounds for people gathered in their living room around a radio, having Walter Winchell rat-a-tat-tat and give that rapid delivery fire of all the latest. Um, and in short little punctuations like that. So I guess he was kind of like Twitter before there was Twitter, right? 140 <laughs> characters or less? That's for so, sure. So um, I'm interested in the set. Um, have you? So you, you're duplicating uh, booth number 50 at the store club, or is it... Um, oh, that's great. That's great. Esther, she has done her homework with this. Yes, Walter would hold court each night at booth number 50 at the famed store club owned by Sherman Billingsley. He was the nightclub owner, and that, of course, was the hot spot around New York. It was open to the wee hours, so the Broadway shows let out. People went and did their late supper there. You know, you probably are both familiar with this. You'd be hard-pressed to find something like that in Chicago, Not even pre-pandemic, I would always say. When shows let out, there really weren't many places even downtown to go because downtown Chicago kind of rolled up the rolled up the sidewalks after the shows let out when I'd be covering things. I would sometimes go to the Italian Village because they were open really late or Miller's Pub would be open. Well, not a lot to, of places. Used to, used to be the pump room. That's yes. where. <laughs> yes. For our own Herb Cups and our Chicago Sun-Times version of uh, a Walter Winchell held court. But to answer your question, the, the folks dining out in the audience will feel like they're in the stuff in, in the in the store club. What they'll be looking at on that stage, picture a, a big, hefty metal desk from the 1950s, a clickety-clack typewriter, a glass water cooler behind me, of course, a big clock with numbers on it, and an on-the-air sign. So they'll almost be looking at what looks like more of the broadcast set with an old microphone in front of Winchell doing his broadcast as they're sitting out in the... Uh, the kind of the, the little supper club tables, you know, with the little lamps on it, kind of an effect, as they're a part of a, the who's who for a, a broadcast, as Walter Winchell unfolds the ins and outs again, as I said, his personal life and his professional life, ups and downs. Which, by the way, Esther, the menu has been custom chosen. I know. It's I so saw that. Exciting. <laughs> yeah. The store club had a very famous menu item that was just for Walter they created because when he came in late at night, he would be hungry. But he wanted something that he could, he could eat and would not distract him. So it's it's basically a ground chicken burger is what I call it. But they called it a chicken croquette with a Bernays sauce. And he loved sweet garden peas. And he loved, he loved um, sweet potato fries. We're doing kind of a sweet potato whipped mash with white potato. And then watercress uh, potato soup is something that was famed for the uh, Waldorf Astoria Hotel. I'm sorry, for the Plaza Hotel. They would serve that on the menu. So that was something that he liked. And then for dessert, the Waldorf Astoria's famous, famous red velvet cake. So 
that's what folks will be dining on. It's going to be like stepping back into time. Wow. And so, Phil, there'll also be artifacts from, I think, Hearst and Howard Hughes and Hefner. What Can you kind of give us an idea what kind of artifacts those are? Exactly. Where else but in, in the, the farm storage basement of Phil Potempa, <laughs> as I mentioned, Walter Winchell's actually owned Fedora hat, which I wore in the movie Public Enemies with Johnny Depp in that scene in the Crown Point Jail when I was interviewing him. I had two or three lines, and I wore that hat to interview Johnny Depp playing the part of John Dillinger back I, actually 10 years ago. So that hat's been around a little bit. I think that's what got me the part when I auditioned. But also on display, Hedda Hopper's floral hat. If I ha if I remember the fancy French name, is it Chapeau? It's got a fancy French name we call a hat, a lady's flowered hat. But that'll be on display. His actual different, oh, his cufflinks with the WWs will be on there. Actual clippings of his columns, which is what I used to, to write this one-man play. I want you everybody to know it's an original piece. So I, I took it from his actual personal accounts from his columns and his own correspondence and writing. One of the favorite pieces on display that you two can appreciate, you know what it's like. You both have been in the situation when you get a request from your boss to do something and you may think, I don't know if I want to do it or not, or who carries just as much power the boss's wife asked you to do something. You also really <laughs> kind of have to kind of have to do it and, and kind of make sure that you follow through. There's a wonderful letter from William Randolph Hearst's wife, Millicent, re requesting that Walter Winchell be a guest speaker at a charity ladies luncheon that she is arranging. And she's hoping that in that letter, maybe he could get Marilyn Monroe to stop by as well. Since she's <laughs> in town doing some kind of a show with Laurence Olivier, the the Prince and the Pauper, or the Princess and the Pauper, some kind of a show I can't, or the big bit was the Prince and the Showgirl. It was something, but you can bet Walter didn't take kindly to having to do things he didn't want to do, but hey, you got to remember who holds the purse strings, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. So uh, tell, why don't you t bring us up, uh, there's one dark period for Walter Winchell uh, in the 50s uh, with the uh, Joe McCarthy. Tell us about that linkage. I certainly will. And I just want to give a disclaimer. If my if my impersonation of Walter wasn't quite exactly what it should be, you know, one of the keys to his radio broadcast is he would purposely drink two or three big glasses of water about a half an hour, 45 minutes before broadcast. So he had that sense of urgency that he would be jumping up and down on seats and he'd be talking really fast like a little boy who was waiting to use the restroom facilities. <laughs> this was all true. He would do this with his broadcast to give himself, again, that sense of urgency. And then, of course, never did visit the facilities until he got off the air with his broadcast. So I didn't do that for That's what I needed to do before you guys uh, <laughs> asked me to do that impersonation. Well, your but, urgency was that you were stuck in traffic. So <laughs> That's right. I, yes, I had hit quite a day. So I, I, if I'm a little uh, uh, on, the, on the sky-high side here, it's because my adrenaline's flown from that traffic. Well, you know, Phil, you, right. you know, Phil in, the, in the description, it says it's a, going to be a multimedia experience. What what are the elements that um, create that? Well, we will have a there's a huge screen that's right behind me on on the set as well. So behind that desk for when the lights can dim a little bit, that screen will go up. So sometimes I can refer to something on that screen. It can be still photos, you know, and people will say, why did you pick him? Well, it's, again, it's somebody I know a lot about. Somebody that, as a, a journalist, and I've studied him and taught journalism at Purdue and also at University, you know, he's a notorious figure that is both liked and resented. But I also have amassed quite a file of collection of rare photos and things that I've purchased at auctions 
One of my favorite, again, is an event party that he's at, a reception, and Hedda Hopper happens to be there. And for a quick minute, they switched hats. Hedda has on his fedora. <laughs> he's got on her wide-brimmed flowered hat. And they've got drinks in their hand. And somebody captured that moment. And so think of those kind of rare shots where I can put something on a screen behind me or show a quick clip. And then I can narrate about it and, and talk about what it's like. So you're right. That's that's true. That will be a part of, of this one-hour performance. Fantastic. So uh, let's uh, get caught up a little bit about other things that are going at the Center of Vision Forming Arts. So uh, uh, since you're kind of... Uh, even though you're going to represent the whole building. I know I kind of ended up doing that when I was there. Like, uh, what exhibits are going? Uh, what's Symphony doing? What's Theater at the Center doing? Of course, and Joe Trauma is doing a wonderful job with uh, his uh, business there. Yes, and that's the most important thing. You, you listed that wonderful laundry list right there. You are the evidence that certainly everything is open under this roof at the Center for Visual and Performing Arts, with the exception, again, Theater at the Center hasn't quite opened its doors yet, but we're already busy in the planning stages. And I know I've said this before, but... The key to this is, is that we are an equity professional theater. So we have to go by all the guidelines to keep our musicians and our, our performers safe. So that's just still taking a little more ironing out, but we're getting better as these vaccinations roll out. The union keeps taking away more and more of these sheets. So that's this a proverbial stay tuned. We're, we're just around the corner from announcing some things that will get that curtain back up. And who knows, maybe by the holidays, we'll all be celebrating together with something on that stage. You know, I'm not going to say or I'm not going to say yes. Or no yet, but stay tuned. But the rest of the building, you're right. Chef Joe Trom has a wonderful Sunday carryout that continues to please and, and, and bring folks in. I think we're also dangerously close to having a return to Sunday champagne brunch in person as well. You know, it hasn't happened yet, but again, that's a stay tuned here in our ballroom. And then the folks at South Shore Arts, they always have the latest and greatest exhibits that are free. Come in and stroll you can't get into the big gallery without walking through that great gift shop with all the custom artisans, jewelry and scarves and wonderful local author books. So, hey, it's one-stop shopping. Hey, Phil, speaking of that, can you give us news from the farm? Any news from the farm? We're, we're cutting lots of asparagus right now. The asparagus is not like this <laughs> cold, cool, wet weather, but I think there's some warm nights ahead. So, and the strawberries are, are very close. We got the rhubarb part, but not the strawberries yet for our strawberry rhubarb preserves. So that's great. Esther. <laughs> Your appetite. <laughs> well, I know in the Tri-County uh, exhibits with the current thing going on in the gallery, uh, uh, everything. So let's wrap up one thing, which is tell us about the, the dates of the show uh, and what's going on, when it is, and uh, how to get there and tickets and everything. How to get tickets. Yeah. Okay, certainly. Yes, again, it, it's myself, Phil Patempa, starring in a one-man show, Winchell, on the air. It's as exciting as it sounds. It sounds like a broadcast. It's a little bit broadcast, a little bit of his world of print. The famous gossip columnist comes to life under his real famed fedora signature hat in the ballroom. So not in the theater, but in the ballroom at the Center for Visual Performing Arts. Two performances, one in the afternoon. It's a dinner show as well, evening dinner show. That's all on June the 10th. Tickets available through the event center. So don't call the box office because the theater box office is still closed. But the dining and events ladies will be happy to take those reservations right over the phone to get you your ticket. 219-836-1930. Or, of course, always visit www.cvpa.org for all the latest trauma catering menus for the upcoming comedy nights. There's the arts programming that's in the gallery and everything and anything you don't want to miss. 
Well, we'd like to thank you for being on Art in the Air Spotlight. You know, we could probably go on for another hour. But uh, anyway, we appreciate that. You can see Winchell on the air, the new one-man play uh, with uh, Phil Potempa. Again, Thursday, June 10th. And there's two shows, one at 11.30 and one at uh, 6 p.m. with dinner at 6.30. Phil, th- thanks so much for being on Art yeah, in the Air. Yeah, always delightful, Phil. And I would love for both of you to come out as our guests. So think about it. Mark your calendars if you can. Tip me off. I, I'll give you a heads up. Thank you so much, Phil. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Heart and soul, I fell in love with you. Lost control, just like a fool would do gladly, because you held me tight and stole a kiss in the night. Heart and soul, I begged to be adored. Lost control, and tumbled overboard gladly. That magic night we kissed there in the moon mist. But your lips were thrilling, much too thrilling. Never before were mine so strangely willing. But now I see what one embrace can do. Look at me, you've got me loving you badly. That little kiss you stole. And what you just heard is from uh, Forever Plaid, the Dunes Summer Theater, Dunes Art Foundation, and that's coming up this summer. We'd like to welcome to our show uh, Tito Sanchez-Williams, Elise Carmani, and also should be joining us a little bit later is Stephen Scott, who will be the voice of it. Welcome back to Art in the Air. Thanks for having us. Thank you, thank you. Well, you have a new production coming up, a musical, and of course things are a little different. You can talk a little bit about that, but we'll talk a little bit about Forever Plaid and everything and how you're doing it differently than doing it in the theater. So uh, I guess I'll toss that first to Tito. Go ahead and talk about that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, no, I'm extremely, extremely excited for the show. Uh, this show is very close to my heart. I saw it very early on when I was in college and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I like theater. I felt passionate about theater. But I didn't feel secure doing theater. Um, I came to Indiana. I went to the Amish Acres Theater, and that's the first time I saw it. And I just fell completely in love with it. It's, it was magical. It really brought you in. What I really loved about the musical is that it, it shows four guys who are very insecure. They're not the most confident guys. They're not really uh, great performers. They're not necessarily the best looking guys. They have problems. But within their shyness, um, they come and they sing their songs that just open them up and they just go on this journey. And it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it's actually a musical review. Uh, for our audience who may not know the difference between a Forever Plaid is not really a book musical in the classic sense. It's actually kind of a, uh, a review, really a musical review using songs that are already written. So, but explain that. Yeah. So it's pretty much the four guys that grew up 
seeing uh, other seasons like the Beatles, like other guys that they looked up to, they really wanted to be singers. So pretty much what they do is that they don't sing original songs. The songs they sing are from other groups that were huge in the 1950s and also a little bit of the early 1960s. So pretty much what you're seeing is these four guys who have a dream and they sing the songs based on the concepts that they like. So it's not originals. It's kind of like going back to the past and a reminiscence of those type of songs and that music, but they bring it to the modern world in a way, right? They put a little twist, it's very approachable, and it's extremely fa- uh, friendly to the family. Tell us one real quick thing. Uh, what's the concept of the musical? I think that's very interesting for our audience about the how they, uh, I guess you might say, reappear, but I'll let you tell that story. So, <laughs> so the concept for that one pretty much is you have to go with the script. It's these guys that are brought here from the universe, from pretty much like the other realm. And they come here in what you call like their unfinished business. Uh, They were on their way to do one great gig, their first actually great big gig. But on the way, something happened. They died. It's an accident. So literally 57 years later on, they come into 2021. It is within the lines that is supposed to be in the time that you're doing it. And they, it, it's, it's pretty much them finding what they didn't find in the real life. So it's this concept of this ghost that appear within you, but they're in flesh, right? They come to this <laughs> planet and they just want to give you a good show. And what I love about the show is that the audience can't help but just fall in love with these four geeks. The, here they are singing this music. We're in two, 2021, but boy, they are having fun. They're liking it. They're bringing me in. And they really have a lot of audience interaction, which is very interesting. But it's, it's part of what drives you to really connect and love these four guys. They have this music. Maybe it might not be your thing, but I'm telling you the charm level for these four guys that you're going to see is just off the roof. You, the, the narrative is great. You go on this journey. They ha- each one of them have a monologue. And within the monologue comes their song. It's kind of like they're coming off being character, like rising up to the moment. This is my song, Lady of Spain. And I'm going to sing it and I'm going to blow the audience away. Whether they do it or not, they're going to do it. Uh, <laughs> so I love so- it. I love it. So actually, I have a um, a question of how you got to that that phase. Like, mm-hmm. what was the audition process like, and when did? So I imagine you auditioned everybody individually, and then said, yeah. "Oh, well, I'm interested in these guys." But when did you put them together to see if they could harmonize? Because this musical is all about close harmonies. Yes, it is. It's very tricky. Um, the the audition process was a little bit long because I really wanted to connect to the human being, not only the actor. So after they did um, their singing, the audition and their monologues, I had an interview with them just to kind of like feel right. Um, I think for this musical, you have to come from a very honest, vulnerable, sincere place. And I found that with each of the guys, the harmonizing was very tricky. We had to give them a recording that our musical director did and they had to match their parts. Musically, you have baritone, bass and two different sections of tenor. So you really have to be a really strong singer because you have to carry your tune on yourself. So it was a long process, Esther, but we found the four guys and I think they're doing a great job. Elise, can you walk us through what the experience is going to be like since it's not going to be in the theater this time? Right. Well, this will be our our very first time being outside like this, but um, 
we are going to have to limit our audience. We we built a stage on the back side of our theater near the cabins and um, a platform where the uh, musicians will be. And then we had to bring in we demo we had a demolition uh, had to smooth out the grounds there because they had a bunch of trees and stumps and uh, and then we put sod in and we're still doing that and we're watering it three times a day. My, my shift is noon to one. If anybody <laughs> wants to come to see me, <laughs> um, but uh, it will be different. We are um, giving it free. The tickets are free, but please reserve your ticket because uh, mm -hmm. space is limited. And we are also accepting donations, of course, because this is all going to be very expensive. Um, yeah. But if people, you need to bring your own chair or blanket and uh, it's going to be nice, soft grass and maybe bring some bug spray as well. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> outdoor and hopefully forest, so yeah. it's outdoor. So, you know, hopefully it won't rain. But if it does, we have a rain date on th the following mm -hmm. Thursday. And um, what else do I need to say? Um, you know, I, I think you it's going to be a little bit more relaxed than if you're in a chair inside a theater we're going to have um you know we'll have water and refreshments but bring your own if you want um bring dinner it's it's going to be six o'clock so uh sunset is not till eight thirty. so it will be yeah. light all throughout so that's that's going to be the experience, and mm -hmm. we'll find out. <laughs> Outdoor theater is always challenging. We, uh, joining us is Steve Scott. He's going to be the director on the next show, uh, of course, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. But, Steve, you're part of this uh, in one way. Uh, here you're doing The Voice. <laughs> <laughs> so explain yeah. that to our audience. Yeah. Yes, on, on this uh, current show, Forever Plaid, what you're doing on that. Oh, I'm not doing anything. I'm I'm going to be in the audience uh, cheering them on. Uh, <laughs> you, you you don't want to hear me sing. Uh, <laughs> it's so. a mysterious voice. Yes, yeah, it's, a mysterious it's a voice that kind of leads the audience. Oh yes. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't been sent this sent my script yet, uh, so I haven't been uh, uh, honing up on this. But I'm sure I'll be brilliant uh, once I get there. There you go. So you'll be the disembodied <laughs> voice of uh, what's going on there. So, well, you know yes. what, Tito? Let's talk about one of the other songs. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them from the show, and we'll talk about yeah. some of the others. But uh, one of them is very famous, uh, Three Coins in a Fountain. Set that up, and we'll take a quick listen to that. So Three Coins in a Fountain is that kind of like upbeat, nice guy. It's a great introduction because it really sets the tone that – these are the nice guys, right? And Three Coins in a Fountain pretty much gives that. They're, they're the singers who sing for the sake of love. They're the lovers. And the theme of that song just brings you immediately into this is the four guys. This is the type of archetype that they fit. Good guys singing those love songs, trying to get the girls in a very goofy way. And the choreography within it, immediately you see Three Coins in a Fountain, what they did with the choreography. They're not great dancers. The choreography is supposed to be very silly. Uh, the writer himself tells you, have fun with the choreography in the most silly way. They're not the Backstreet Boys. They're not the NSYNC. They're not going to do flips. They're not going to do Michael Jackson. It's the complete opposite. They really play to the line. So if it's three coins in a fountain, 
they throw it to a lovers. It's the three of them around one playing the fountain, throwing the, the coins. It's 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 welcome the silliness. That's what the three concert and fountain sets immediately within the rest of the show. Like a it's, pantomime. It's <laughs> yeah. Well, let's take a quick listen to a Three Coins in a Fountain, Forever Plaid. Three coins in the fountain, each one seeking happiness. Thrown by three hopeful lovers, which one will the fountain bless? Three hearts in the fountain, each heart longing for its own. There they lie in the fountain, somewhere in the heart of Which one will the fountain bless? Three coins in the fountain Through the ripples how they shine Just one wish will be granted One heart will wear a valentine Make it mine That's uh, Three Coins in the Fountain. We're listening from uh, Dune Summer Theater and their production of Forever Plaid. Oh, it's, we're looking so forward to it. So can you tell us who is singing? Who is in the production? Yes, of course. We have Jake and Simons. Uh, he plays Frankie. He's a lovely, lovely boy. He did a great addition where he actually sang all four parts. So it was, it was kind of difficult to cast him because you really could go all the ways. Baritone, bass, tenor, the guy could do it all. Uh, so Frankie is pretty much kind of like the leader musically too. So that's why I gave uh, Jacob the uh, Francis part. Is uh, he is he from Chicago? He's he's a local of Chicago. Yes. So Jacob is a local of Chicago. Uh, Jay Spaniel is also a local of Chicago. He plays much. Okay. He's also the teacher for one of the summer classes we're offering. We're offering a two week intensive film, and he's the teacher for that. We have uh, he's local of Chicago. Thomas Tong. He's also a Chicago local. Funny enough, when I met him, we share the same agent. We go through the same agency. <laughs> so everything we do, we do it together. Uh, he was lovely. He's a great singer, too. He sings my personal favorite, Lady of Spain. And you really have to be so strong com- in a comedic and comedic sense. And his expressions are just lovely. I just fell in love with him. And I'm like, you have to sing Lady of Spain for me. So he plays uh, Thomas Tongue plays oh my goodness i'm spacing i'm so sorry jinx Um, he plays jinx (laughs) jinx thank you jinx (laughs) and then joshua joshua is the youngest out of the four actors he's still going to college uh they all have uh degrees in theater he is currently still getting his uh bfa uh he's from kansas city uh joshua plays sparky and sparky is just pretty much like the heart of the show he's just a nice, extremely gullible, but very innocent guy that you just fall in love with. And Joshua has a big heart. So I, those are my four guys. They're, they're, they're great. They're great. Esther. Who did your costuming? Actually, I, <laughs> I did with them. We are a nonprofit. <laughs> We're on a budget. So I found some nice jackets. Uh, my mother-in-law uh, helped me line them and make them nice. And they, they just brought themselves some nice black 
suit pants and some nice shirts and we put a little tie. It's very simple, very approachable. But yeah, pretty much I did it with the guys. <laughs> Pulling costumes is probably one of the most successful. You have a costume base that will really work yeah. and everything. Um, how many people did you have audition? Oh, man. Um, About. I, do, I have an estimate. I don't want to give the exact number, but okay. I can. I know that it was over 120 people that we had audition for Forever Plaid. Uh, we had more for Midsummer, but I'm just counting Forever Plaid. I would say it was about 120. Wow. And that was from all over the country or? That was, we have from New York, we have from California, we have from Georgia, we have from Kansas, from Idaho, a lot from Illinois, a nice amount from Indiana too. Um, Yeah. So we had it from all over. Excellent. Very good. Well, you have other things going on this summer, and we have talked about them before, and we'll, in our spotlight interviews upcoming, do that. But I don't know if, Alicia, you want to uh, do that. What else is coming up uh, down the calendar for uh, Dunes Summer Theater, Dunes Art Foundation? Great. Before we get to that, I just wanted to mention that we will have a live band there at uh, Forever Plaid. Andrew Flash is our musical director. He'll be doing keyboards, and we have a live bass and drums so um and at the one other perk i want to say is bonneville fontaine is doing our props and scenery for forever plaid and she's got some very cool surprises for everyone so um yeah after after forever plaid closes we go straight into our gala um it's a retrospective of of seven decades of Broadway tunes and how it relates to the Dunes Summer Theater. Um, And that will be at Barker Hall, June 26th from 6 to 8 p.m. Tickets, it is a fundraiser. Tickets are $100. It includes a sit-down dinner and um, entertainment and a ticket to the silent auction. And then after that, we go into the uh, Midsummer Night's Dream on July 9th to July 25th. Um, And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a little bit with Steve. And then we end our season at Friendship Gardens on July 30th and 31st. And that will also be a cabaret night. We're we're getting some uh, new people in for that. So there'll be some new faces and some old faces that you've -hmm. you've, um, seen during the summer. And that closes our season. And we do have classes. I do want to mention again that Jay Espano, it's a new class for us. We're going to be teaching a filmmaking class intensive for kids 10 years and uh, 10 years and above. And it'll be a Monday through Friday, 1 through 4 uh, p.m., July 19th to July 30th. And then we'll have a little screening for everyone in August. And that's about it. And we turn to other things. <laughs> so you still have a youth, the youth classes in an conjunction to that, correct? That, that's going to happen a little bit earlier in June and July. I, I feel it's not a good thing for us to be doing too many things at once. So we're going to be getting the music theater and the um, uh, uh, theater techniques start starting in June and July. Then after that closes, we're hoping some of the students want to continue with us into the filmmaking class. So they learn their technique of, of acting and then maybe they want to get on camera as a director or as an actor on camera. And that will be Jay's class. So yeah, we'll be very busy. 
The school is expanding. We're very happy about that. That's excellent. Steve, we want to just toss it to you for just a couple of minutes or a minute or so to talk about next theatrical production. So chat a little bit about that for us, please. Well, I've, I've, you know, Mr. Midnight Stream is a show that I've done a number of times, but I've never done it outside in the woods. Uh, so uh, this is my chance to embrace nature. Uh, and I think it's a perfect setting for this. Uh, you know, it's one of Shakespeare's funniest plays and one of, one of his kind of loveliest romantic comedies. And we're spicing it up a little bit. We're playing it very much uh, contemporary. Uh, retain the same language, but but kind of ca- taking a contemporary take on the characters. And we're doing a lot of gender bending in this one. Uh, men are playing women. Women are playing men. Uh, people are playing more than one thing. We have a company of about 10 actors. And I think it's just going to be a lot of fun. You know, it's a, it's a play about the confusion of love. And uh, God knows we've got a lot of confusion going on. So hopefully we can sort that out so, no, so that the audience isn't confused. But uh, I have an outstanding group of actors uh, working on this, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be doing it. Very good. Well, one of you want to address uh, about uh, how do you get in touch with the uh, uh, you on the website, Facebook, uh, show dates and tickets? Yeah, the, the easiest way to get your tickets is to come online um, at dunesarts.org slash tickets. So that's D-U-N-E-S-A-R-T-S dot org slash uh forward slash tickets t-i-c-k-e-t-s can i spell <laughs> i don't know yes very good so forever plaid uh, running june 4th through the 20th uh, you can get the information there and we're going to play out for one moment uh one of the songs that you're featuring it probably very familiar to audiences love is a many splendid thing thank you so much for being part of art on the air Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you.
You've been listening to Art in the Air, and we'd like to thank our guests this week on WVLP 103.1 FM and Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art in the Air is heard every Friday at 11 a.m. and rebroadcast Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP. Art in the Air streams live at WVLP.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM every Sunday at 7 p.m. Also streaming live at LakeshorePublicRadio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Thanks again to Greg Kovach, WVLP Station Manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Our theme music is by Billy Foster, with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant and the National Endowment for the Arts. Underwriters for Art in the Air, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments, and Mary LeVan, Arts Patron. Art in the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art in the Air... Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com AOTA. You can find out support information there. So don't just be an Art on the Air listener. Become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so so we continue to bring you this great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. Information about Art in the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event, or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H, dot com, or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart Express yourself through art And show the world your heart You're in the know with Esther and Larry Art on the air today Stay in the know with Larry and Esther Art on the air our way Express yourself through art And show the world your heart Express yourself to art and show the world.